Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Tuesday morning to you, Mike McNamara for a Tuesday edition of All Marine Radio, right here on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Yeah, that's what that is. Anyway, hope you're having a good Tuesday. Hope you had a chance to listen to uh, yesterday's interview with Franz Marty, somebody who's in Afghanistan working there, a friend of Tim Lynch. So my thanks to Timmy for um, introducing me to Franz and then Franz for hopping on. Uh, we had a great Skype connection, by the way. Yeah, the audio is very good, which doesn't always happen. So thankful for that. But yeah, if you get a chance, get a chance to listen to somebody who's not an American, right? And who's lived in Afghanistan for the last six and a half years watching what's going on today. And most importantly, does footnoted reporting, right? In the midst of all this, say, you know, Afghanistan is collapsing faster than we thought. Franz's take is a little bit different. And uh, so I would, if you haven't listened to it, I would recommend that. Over the weekend... I drove up to my hometown, Sacramento, California, my high school class. Uh, I won't call it a reunion, but we get together. Uh, started doing it, I think, about four years ago. And we just do it in the backyard at somebody's house. And everybody that can make it shows up. And so uh, I love these things, man. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I go to... I go hang out with, you know, there's guys there that I went to kindergarten with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guys I went to kindergarten with. Um, yeah, how cool is that? Yeah, it's way cool. So, um, so, 
so yeah, went out and hung up and hung out up there on uh, drove up Saturday, uh, hung out on Saturday night and Sunday, and then drove back yesterday morning uh, early and got home and uh, it was hot here in Southern California. At least it was hot for Costa Mesa standards. Anyway, uh, so did my seminar last night and uh, with the, the graduate seminars on Monday night. So I did that last night. The um, I have to tell you that on the way home, I'm going to make a book recommendation to you. The um, My daughter, Catherine, it's, it's her birthday today. Yeah. Catherine... And so she's making she's making up like rules because I obviously sent her you know a text message you know happy birthday and um, so she said thanks dad and she spelled dad lowercase d a d and I said well you're very welcome except right. The D in dad is capitalized because I'm not just any dad. I'm your dad. And so she said, yeah, I don't think that that criticism is, that correction is warranted on my birthday. I said, oh, I think it is. I said, who's making up these rules? Because I totally reject them. I mean, come on, what do you like? Get to make up all the rules about life on your birthday? And she's like, yes. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's how that shit works. So happy birthday to my oldest daughter, 28 years old today, yeah, halfway to 56. <laughs> ah, my sons are halfway to being in their 60s, They're not, they don't like that shit. Oh, but they have no problem telling me, hey dad, halfway to 128, I'm not there yet, but I'm close, Um, 126, I'm halfway to. Um, oh yeah, but they don't really particularly care about it when it's, uh, when it applies to them. Um, so, uh, yeah, my daughter making up rules on her birthday, which I'm having none of, by the way, rejecting it. I'm driving back from Sacramento yesterday and I just decided, man, I'll get in the I'll get my truck and drive back. I have to tell you this. My truck I bought in 2010. So what is it, 12 years old now? Um, yeah, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. 12 years old. Okay. So my ride, my truck runs like a champion. and it And it is a great ride in terms of quiet. Yeah, it's honestly, I get in other people's cars and I'm like, what is this? My 12-year-old truck runs better. I love my truck. So anyway, um, I'm in my truck that I love and I'm driving south and I begin to listen to a book that a guy named Dave Whitesock, a friend of mine, I don't know if I've ever interviewed Dave. If I haven't, I need to. So let me just go to the All Marine Radio podcast page and see if his name appears there and if it doesn't I'm confused why I haven't done that 
no results found. So I do radio with Dave. He now goes by David. Yeah, he changed his changed his whole identity. He wears glasses like Harry Potter. Changed his name to David. I'm like, what is that? Come on, man. Um, yeah, he's reinvented himself. Anyway, uh, so Dave does radio. He's kind of jack of all trades. Smart guy. He can do anything. He can build websites. He can work on computers. He can do sports. He can do country. He can do rock and roll. He can do talk. Not too many people can do that stuff. So he's an invaluable asset. Well, Dave's got a drinker problem. He winds up in jail. Yeah, I can't remember for how long he got sent to jail. For DUIs. And I was in Iraq at the time. And I remember getting letters from him written in pencil. Uh, and I'd write him back. And uh, and we're still good friends. He is He's a lawyer now. Um, he's one of the great success stories. He, I'll have to get him on. Uh, All Marine Radio. You might meet a, mute, a few people next week. All Marine Radio people. I mean, post-traumatic winning people. And Dave is one of them. Anyway, he recommended a book one night in our sem- when one either the weekly seminar when he was in it or the graduate seminar. It's called The Obstacle Is the Way, written by a guy named Ryan Holiday. Now, you, some of you may have heard of him because he's also written a book that is highly recommended. Grant Newsom's going to join us here in a few minutes. Um, hold on. Where the hell did that go? He's written a book called The Daily Stoic. 366 Meditations on Wisdom, Perseverance, and the Art of Living. By Ryan Holiday. Anyway, so I um, I'm listening to the daily. I'm um, not the daily Stoic. The obstacle is the way on my drive, and I've got plenty of time, right? I mean, come on. So, um, I'm listening to it, and the guy is. Um, The guy is like literally speaking. This is him. Okay. Challenge and bad calls. Certainly as a black player, he could not afford to show off, celebrate, or be seen as trying to. With pride and dedication. The great psychologist, Viktor Frankl, survivor of three concentration camps, found presumptuousness in the age-old question, what is the meaning of life? As though it so he's talking. So anyway, so he's speaking my language. Okay. Instead, he said, the world is asking you that question. Yeah. The world's asking you that question. So he then says something that almost causes me to drive off Interstate 5. Let me see if I can find it. Action is commonplace. Right action is not. As a discipline, it's not any kind of action that will do, but directed action. Everything must be done in the service of the whole. Step by step, action by action, will dismantle the obstacles in front of us. With persistence and flexibility, we'll act in the best interest of our goals. Action requires courage, not brashness, creative application, and not brute force. Our movements and decisions define us. We must be sure to act with deliberate. 
How about that? An Asian war. That's why I reject this whole notion that, you know, when you stand up and talk about your shit, you're somehow or other being vulnerable. It's not. It's an act of courage. It's not an act of vulnerability. Vulnerable, vulnerable people sit there and don't say shit because they're afraid. Courageous people stand up and will talk about their shit. Now, I'm trying to find what he... Because he, he actually uses the word unfuck. I'm the only one I know that uses that, like, in a public setting. And so I'm driving down I-5... And he talks about unfucking your life. War. The sun was eclipsed and his fleet of 150 ships was cast into darkness. Surprised by this unexpected and confusing event, his men were thrown into a state of panic. Unlike the crew, Pericles was undaunted. He walked up to a lead steersman, removed the cloak he was wearing, and held it up around the man's face. He asked the man if he was scared of what he saw. No, of course not. Action not- is commonplace. Hold on, let me see if this But because is you've calculated them and boldly embraced the risk. After all, now that you've managed perceptions properly, what's next is to act. So I'm driving down the interstate, and I hear this, and I'm like, Did I? there's no way he just said that. And I think it's here. Are you ready? Music, what the hell? Part two, action. All right. I can't find it. Anyway, I would recommend it to you. It's called The Obstacle is the Way, the Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumphs. Yeah, very much sounds like trauma to joy, right? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So I would tell you, absolutely, you should read this book. Okay, The Obstacle is the Way, or you should listen to it by a guy named Ryan Holiday, who I'm a huge fan of. Right, I'm a huge fan of, so I would recommend that book. Actually, my kids don't know this, but they're all going to get um, an audiobook version of this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yep, that's uh, yeah, he's written a whole bunch of books. Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Stillness is the Key, Ryan Holiday. The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. Lives of the Stoics, Ryan Holiday. How to Think Like a Roman Emperor by Donald Robertson. I don't know who the hell that guy is. Anyway, um, I'm a, so far I'm a Ryan Holiday fan. Um, so um, let me start the program. But uh, my reunion was awesome. If you haven't, if you've lost touch with people you went to high school with, your your good friends from there, I would. If I could make a recommendation for you, I would reestablish contact with them i would go to those reunions because we're at least my my class we're getting to the age where we need each other's help again and there's no better place to hang out than with the people that uh i love i love hanging out with kids that i grew up with and we went to high school together we played sports against each other as in grammar school you know the catholic schools had this league and we would get after it and we knew each other in grammar school and went to high school together and still in each other's lives so um yeah, so I'd recommend that you do that. It was an awesome time, and I got to hang out with my cousin Tom and his family. So so anyway, good morning to you. Grant Newsom's going to join us here in a couple of minutes. I'll play the national anthem, right? We'll do the weather real quick, and then we'll get Grant on. So we'll talk to him about uh, – he's written a piece called China's One-Two Punch. We'll talk about that. China also in the news because the United States, NATO, and the EU are going to blame China for cyber attacks 
on the Microsoft Exchange servers. So you have like you have nation states attacking international companies. What the fuck, right? Anyway, yeah, China, and then and then China's response. Yeah, this is an American fabrication. Did NATO fabricate it? Oh, of course, at the behest of the United States. How about the EU? You know they're America's lapdog, right? Anyway, good morning to you. This is dedicated to Dave Whitesock, who you're going to meet pretty soon. Um, it's dedicated to my high school buddies uh, that I got to hang out with again over the weekend, which I love. And it's dedicated to Ryan Holiday for a great book, right, that you should listen to or read called The Obstacle is the Way. Yeah, all that dedication rolled into this. Except that wasn't supposed to play. say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident 
it. Thank you very much. <clears throat> if this was vodka, it'd be a lot better speech. <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore, so young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day, and Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We gotta do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult, challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. I'm doing kind of an opinion poll. It's not a poll yet, okay? But I'm canvassing people. When did Afghanistan go off the rails? Hmm? At what point did Afghanistan go off the rails? I'm curious. What year you would point to, what decision you would point to, or would you would you circle a series of years and say these this series of decision, right? I'm, I'd be curious about that. Um, currently, it is sunny in 85 in Quantico. It is cloudy in 75 down the coast of Camp Lejeune. Tornado Palms is sunny in 92. Camp Pendleton sunny in 72. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy, 72. Okinawa, dark raining in 80. In the Philippines, in Manila, it is dark cloudy in 80. And in Darwin, it's cold. Clear, dark in 70. Yeah, that's cold for Darwin. Um, yeah, the Marine Corps artillerymen and Arties got... Marine Corps artillerymen and Aussie artillerymen are practicing shooting artillery at ships. Yeah, coastal batteries. That's what we used to call it in World War II before they all got overrun. <laughs> Grant Newsham about to join us here. We're going to talk about China. So, stand by. That's the Skype music. Let me shut the music off so Grant doesn't get confused. Not that I would ever get confused. Grant might. Yeah, hello, Grant here. Grant here. Where did you learn how to answer the phone like that? Because that's, um, not, a, that's not an American salutation. I re- read a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> how, to, how to answer the phone appropriately? That's right. Mm-hmm. And that, was that the top recommendation, Grant here? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, sounds like a, you, it sounds like kind of a you, military radio thing. No, nah, if you want to get down to business quick. <laughs> now. <laughs> Is that what it is? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Well, congratulations uh, on that deal. The um, Grant Newsham, the famous Grant Newsham, I might add, uh, joins us now. Once banished to the Western Pacific, now in the eye of the hurricane. How about that? It's odd how life works. Um, So you wrote a piece called China's One-Two Punch that I want to get to, but I want to talk to you about a current event um 
first, let me talk to you. Let me ask you about Afghanistan. Uh, we talked about Afghanistan before. Um, you watch the news like the rest of us. Anything going on in Afghanistan that has got your uh, uh, that has got your attention? <laughs> no, uh, not really. It you know I really can't think of much that has happened over the years that's been a surprise. And what's happening now? It you know I don't think it surprises any of us. Uh, it's you know it's just hard to see. Uh, it not just sort of collapsing and the the Taliban, you know, such as it is, uh, taking over. And it's, you know, kind of embarrassing, or should be, at least. Um, uh, it's a lot of legions of merits and upward promotions for this great success for our ruling classes. But, uh, you know, no, I, I just, I don't see anything that really surprises me. I think the hand of the Pakistanis is once again being exposed even more clearly. Right. Uh, and that, you know, once you, when we, our failure refusal to deal with that reduced our prospects of success by 90%. Uh, and, but it's, and the Indians are getting worked up about it now. The, the Chinese, of course, are, um, suggesting that their chance, it's now their turn and they're going to come in and get the mineral wealth, etc., set up a good relationship uh, with the Taliban or the, the new leaders, etc. Um, but it, it reminds you of sort of of those last days of Vietnam. Remember when, you know, Saigon still, you know, had a, you know, Saigon still held. And but everywhere else, it was just sort of going over or being actually not going over. It was just being taken over. Um, but it, you know, we, we will hope until the, there will be people who hope until the very last minute that something works out and that it isn't the complete disaster and embarrassment for the United States that it seems. Well, I will tell you this, um, were I a member of the state department or the DOD or a member of central commands, um, operational planning groups, I would be very concerned about the predicament that those left behind are in and um and in particular if anything goes wrong we don't have a way to get in there bagram's not there anymore and so how you enter into the Kabul area you know uh is going to be not as easy as it used to be and so um american diplomats and other people that are left there are in a very very precarious situation if somebody decides they want to they want to do something. Um, mm-hmm. Curious, yeah. China. What, what do you think China's response will be, and why is India getting worked up over Afghanistan? Well, the Chinese have been backing the Taliban since the two thousands at least, and with funding, etc., weapons, etc. Um, and they that has always been sort of part of their game is to undercut us. And as a result, they've got, you know, some kind of relations with the Taliban. And the Chinese are just are so amoral that they will do business with anybody. Uh, it's sort of like minded peoples, I suppose. But the um, that's their game is to get the say the mineral wealth in there you know and then as sort of an add-on it's whatever political or influence or such that they can have it it adds a piece to their puzzle of where they're establishing control or dominance or something along those lines but they've been after the minerals uh, just for a long time and you've heard stories of that and rumors for for years 
Uh, and now this is, I think they're going to give it a try, you know, see how things play out and not just see how things play out. But as I said, they have had this relationship uh, with the Taliban, with our enemies, uh, funding them for years. So now there's it's their chance. You know, Russia, I think, has got about the same uh, sort of influence that it's always had. But the Indians have always seen uh, Afghanistan in, as a place they've got a, a very serious interest in from a sort of geopolitical standpoint and just the, the geography of it. Uh, and the Pakistanis have resented it, um, of course, and done their best to keep the Indians out and to demonize whatever the Indians do in Afghanistan. Um, but it's so the Indians are now, you know, worked up about what's happened. And, and anyone who has put their really their confidence in the United States has got to be to be worried, I think, because this. Why? Um, I mean, is this well, kind of some like, you know, the fact that we abandon allies? This is a, this is an epiphany for somebody. It's the way we do it. Yeah, we do. But people tend to hope we don't. <laughs> OK, but, but well, yeah. we know. Hope's really not a legitimate course of action, Grant. Anybody yeah. who's been around. But also, yeah, but, you know, it also does, it, it sort of spurs on our adversaries. You know, they see, you know, they see us stumble here, and they are encouraged then to try something else in there somewhere else. And that so it has this ripple effect that isn't always direct in a certain sense, but in terms of encouraging the bad guys to do more. And to, you know, see what they can get. That's what happens. And say, once again, go back to fall of Vietnam. And it's a very good example of that uh, phenomenon where you had the, the Russians in particular getting all in in Central America, in Southern Africa, uh, Northeast Africa as well. And in the Southeast Asia as well, where the, the, the enemies pushed and nothing good happens when when we have this sort of thing and when we're sort of even worse, we're not just distracted, we're looking at the wrong things at home. Okay, so I, I'm going to give you an assignment. I'm tasking you, right? Okay, so Grant, um, mm -hmm. this is a homework assignment. Where do you, and you don't need to answer it now because it's a, it, it's, a, it's a no shit question. I would be curious in terms of your assessment when the Afghanistan mission went off the rails. What, what, what years and what series of what because I don't think it was one decision it was a series of decisions what what decisions got us to reenact Vietnam in Afghanistan in spite of every one of these what, what's interesting is is when did you join the Marine Corps grant uh, 1984 boot I joined in 83 yeah I was also like 43 years old at the time <laughs> No, I was a little older. I was almost 28, so I was <laughs> the, an older fellow. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It matters okay. that you joined after I did, which makes you a boot, okay? And uh, everybody okay. knows that. Okay. What was the old core like? <laughs> Horse blankets, steel pots. The Jeep was the best invention ever because it could go anywhere and do anything, and you could fix it on a dime, right? I wish I'd been around for that. Yeah. You got there right at the tail end of that. The 45? We, so when the 45 was in the inventory and you had to qualify with it as an officer, you would see, because they had been used for so long, right, you would see, like, little black marks, like, all over these targets on qual day. And that was the aiming point. 
because you sure as hell couldn't aim center mast and hit whatever you were aiming at because the gun didn't function like that, right? So, yeah, that was like, yeah, if you didn't carry a forty-five, if you didn't wear a steel pot, go away. Did you wear dungarees back then? No, we wore woodland utilities because we could not wear anything uh, that was ripstop fabric that came out of Vietnam because we were totally rejecting Vietnam. The best boot that was made was the jungle boot because it dried out quick. It had that kind of sole that had spikes on the outside of it, uh, on the edges of it. We couldn't wear it, though, because it connoted Vietnam, right? And utilities that dried out quickly, we couldn't wear those either because it connoted Vietnam. The best, you know, field cover when you're not having to wear your helmet is the bush cover. We couldn't wear that because it reminded people of Vietnam. We were wearing things designed for Europe. Yeah, so that's what we did. Anyway, so here's my question. A year <laughs> exactly. So it, um, yeah, you'd be legit, um, Mike. So my question is for you, um, and Mike, you might have to do a little bit of reading. But what decisions do you think sent? And, and my point about alluding to um, Grant and my time in the Marine Corps, everybody senior to us was raised in this long shadow of Vietnam and constantly heard, we will never do that again. And then these guys, all they all did it again. They all did it. In spite of our history, in spite of the, the, the shadow of Vietnam that they all got raised in. Myers, who's the chairman when this happened, he's a Vietnam veteran, right? Uh, the Army dude, uh, what's that guy's name? He's a Vietnam veteran too. Myers flies out of Thailand, flying jet, airstrikes. And the Army guy, um, who was CENTCOM at the time, um, what's his name? Come on, Grant. Doesn't have Phase 4 figured out in Afghanistan, right? Uh, General, fill in the blank, come on. Anyway, that dude. Um, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Um, those he's an, He was an Army guy in Vietnam. So these guys were Vietnam veterans, and we reenacted. Tommy Franks. Tommy Franks. How could I forget that son of a bitch's name? Anyway, we reenact Vietnam. So I'm curious um, if you might do 15 minutes of research and give me an opinion on where you think Afghanistan went off the rails and has us trying to fashion something that's never existed in the history of the planet. Well, I I think you've... um... Which laid it out pretty well that it, in the sense that it was a series of uh, sort of lost opportunities. And uh, just speaking personally, you know, for, I, my, my take is that it perhaps wasn't so much that we didn't learn the lessons of Vietnam, but that we didn't learn the lessons of Afghanistan uh, that were there to be had. And I remember the first real unsettling sort of thing I had was. Um, well, besides, apparently they did not take a shot at Mullah Omar at the very start because some lawyer called it off. Uh, that was a disaster. Um, if they if they had done it, it would have um, just been a huge psychological blow to the Taliban, not least for religious reasons. Uh, and then I remember right at the beginning when the bombing campaign started that it appeared as near as I could tell to be centered on destroying Taliban mud huts. 
And then <laughs> there was some, uh, it's like a Navy Admiral spokesman for the Joint Chiefs or whatever. He uh, was expressed some puzzlement that the Taliban hadn't surrendered after we destroyed their Air Force. Now, that raised some concerns. And then letting bin Laden out of the Tora Bora area was the equivalent of letting the Germans out of the Falaise pocket in 1944. It was, and the idea was that we were going to leverage the, the Afghan locals to catch him. And when you saw these things happen, you had a feeling that we really didn't know much about Afghanistan or how you win there. Then not um, making sure that a trip across the Pakistani border for ISI and all their people was a one-way ticket to kingdom come. As I said, if you don't close that border, your chances of success you know, are greatly reduced. Um, so those are just a few things. Oh, and then throw in the idea of setting up Afghanistan as a, a place with a strong central government that reaches out to the regions, which is something they have never had nor desired. Um, that was a mistake, to put it mildly. Uh, what we should have done is aim to let it revert back to what it was in 1973 when my hippie brother went through in a, <laughs> in a, you know, by overland from Europe and let it right. be Afghanistan like it had been. And so those things, you know, didn't... Um, okay, but, but what I want you to do is I want you to do 15 minutes of research this is, okay. and, 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 and put your finger on what year. What year, because, like, you know, you look uh, back... And How some, about day five? It, um, well, it, yeah, it, kind of like I mean, it could be more than a day. It could be maybe a well, week, I, a month, or maybe a series of years. When these events happened, this is mm -hmm. where the mission begins to be nation building. And and it was from that, that mission creep, mission change, we crossed the threshold. And now we're committed to building an Afghan nation state with a strong centralized federal government, and that has never existed on the planet. We kind of whistle past the graveyard, and I think all that stuff happened. But I'm curious to know what, in your opinion, you would say would be it happened, I believe, right about 2004 when this mm. happened. So, anyway, just a little bit of. Uh, yeah. Just uh, I uh, so I'm like uh, I know I have no basis to actually request that from you, but it doesn't matter to me because you're a boot. You have to do what I say. Um, yeah, book report. Okay, I got a it. book yeah. report. Yes, U.S., NATO, and the EU will blame China for cyber attack on Microsoft Exchange servers. Why would China do such a thing? China's response is: This is all American propaganda. Blah 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 blah. Fabricated by the Americans. Why? Um, why would China allow this? What's What's in it for them? Can you explain that to me? Well, they do it partly because the same reason a dog licks itself, because <laughs> uh, it's what a dog does, and they, you know, not being glib, but they just can't. Oh, it did, it didn't doesn't sound glib. Yeah, the um, okay. you know what? It <laughs> is. It is a great line, though. It is a great line. You know, I was. Uh, watching a Justin Bieber video. Don't ask me why, but I was. Um, actually, the song's called Intentions. It has Quavo in it. Quavo sings for Migos. Anyway, that's a big thing. So anyway, um, I was watching that. Justin Bieber sings a, lo a song that's called Love Yourself. Okay, And there's one of the greatest lines I think I've ever heard in the song, and it goes like this. My mom likes everybody but she don't like you and i think that's hilarious for some reason 
So anyway, I thought I would share that with you. Hmm. Um, but I, I read a book report. Huh? My mom, my mom likes everybody, but she don't like you. It's as good as right. They do it like a dog licks themselves, just because. I think that's probably the most profound thing you've ever said on the program, and I just wanted to like point it out for people. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> they, um, you know, what they get out of it is is the same thing you get when you can read somebody's secrets. You know, when you can get you know the information about people to blackmail people to get trade secrets in particular, which is you know fuels China's economic power, which ties into their total national power and their military power as well uh, that you know it's that advantage that comes from having cracked the code and that's why they do it you know plus you can if you time comes you can put your enemy at a disadvantage as well if you lose it in a, a clever way uh, and so it, to that it's a, there's a certain there's just complete logic to it from their perspective to, to me you know we shouldn't be the least bit surprised this is what's going on you know recall that the chinese hacked the office of personnel management when around 2016 or so and made off with 20 plus million uh, personnel records of people who had security u.s employees who and people who have security clearances now that's useful to have um, and the the list of you know, the defense projects that they've hacked and benefited immensely from, the F-22, F-35, etc., uh, apparently having gotten into some of our submarine uh, business. Um, you can see the advantages to that. But the real significance of all of this is that the Chinese have paid no price at all for any of this, none. And no administration has cracked down on the Chinese for this behavior. So why should they stop? Uh, and to me, that's the thing, is that uh, they get away with it and we don't do anything to them. Uh, whereas even the poor Russians, you know, who get caught doing some these things, they get a few sanctions put on them. But the Chinese, no, it's, you'd almost think that um, they've got things on people in the U.S. government. You know, it, it's just so uh, unfathomable that we have not responded to this ever. Uh, that you hardly know what to say other than one thinks we try, we want to lose. And the same goes with this latest Microsoft hack. You, you know, watch, watch and listen what the administration is saying, and they are going to do nothing. Uh, they're going to count on what the moral opprobrium that uh, China will face worldwide because people know that they, they hack things. Uh, but they're, going, they're doing nothing. And they've said they're going to do nothing. And, and this is you know, really hard to figure out, you know, and you know, not surprisingly, it, um, people wonder why such a strange decision is being made and if there isn't something a little odd going on. But, you know, if this is how we're going to respond, we should not expect to prevail against the Chinese. Well, that's moderately sobering, but again, I think it's consistent and I think it's accurate that if you don't want to confront them and, and you're not going to make them pay a price. Um, and But so, you know, just for the record, we have yet to, you know, call Vladimir Putin in and make Russia pay a price for, you know, the ransomware attacks that continue to emanate from Russia and the same kind of, and again, I, you know, you and I have talked about this, but 
What's the difference if if you launch an attack that's an electronic attack? What's the difference between that and any form of of uh, attack on a sovereign nation? And answer my opinion: there is no, there is no difference, right? Yeah, I don't see it either. You know, of course, for twelve hundred bucks an hour, a lawyer can come up with some reasons, uh, but in commonsensically, no, there is no real difference, and certainly not given who we're dealing with and what they're doing and what they've done. Well, so, I mean, kind of like, you know, question to the United States Navy. If if the Iranians take their those little boats they have out in the Persian Gulf and they drive it at you in an attack profile with somebody manning a 12.7 machine gun on the bow and you don't defend yourself by shooting warning shots, at what point would you defend yourself? After some of your sailors are killed when they actually light off a machine gun and strafe your ship and kill four people, then you'll return fire, you know. And so to me, I, I don't I don't get when when you when and, and, you know, I learned this in Afghanistan. The Afghans taught me this about weakness. Restraint and weaknesses are synonyms to bullies. They mean the same thing. They they. What the Iraqis did and what they taught me was when you don't when you don't respond in a either proportionate or disproportionate matter manner, they consider that weakness. They judge you as weak and you will you will have it revisited upon you time after time after time after time. Restraint is weakness in in the land of the bully. So don't restrain yourself. And we continue to, as you say, if I didn't know better, I would say that the Chinese and the Russians have shit on everybody. And so, therefore, I mean, Joe Biden, he's got a few skeletons in his closet. You know, his son Hunter is a skeleton manufacturing machine, man. And so, what, do they have something on Joe Biden? That Do the Russians have something that these attacks keep coming from Russia and he bloviates but doesn't do anything? You know, because that was what Donald Trump was accused of. Yet we don't we don't see it. And and why one would restrain themselves from sanctioning Russia, I have no idea. They don't have shit to offer us, right? They don't have shit to offer us. There was one more Chinese story that's in the news that I wanted to get to before I asked you about the one. I asked you about the one-two punch relative to China, and I. So relative to cyber attacks, they won't cease. They won't cease because, you know, there's no disincentive for China to do that. Um, so I guess I understand that. Let's talk about uh, you wrote a piece um, here that was published and uh, called uh, China's One-Two Punch. Um, so let's talk about that. Uh, first of all, what spawns the article? Oh, I've been I've given a few sort of talks or short presentations in some web events recently about China's economic power and what it means. So I just got around to writing up the, the ideas into a piece. And what I, the title, I think, is China's one-two punch. And, and what I'm getting trying to get across is that uh, often we tend to look at, say, the Chinese military threat as one thing, and then Chinese economy and commercial activities and our involvement with them as another, almost separate things. And you'll hear that in uh, the State Department you know, over the years where they talk about um, cooperating with the Chinese where we can and what 
taking them on where we have to. So what they would call, I forget the word they use, but the idea being you can distinguish the two that and that we look, go after their military buildup, their military power, but at the same time, we do business with them. And what I'm suggesting is that's a, a dangerous way to look at things. And I use the one-two punch uh, analogy that, and I even talked to a guy who boxes, a former Marine who, who boxes, and to ask him if there really is a one-two punch sort of thing. And he said, oh yeah. And, um, but anyway, so the way I would look at it is there's the Chinese military threat, which everyone pretty much understands and can recognize and knows that we need to be able to defeat it or to, and, um, but we see the economic threat is different as something, well, it, it happens unrelated to what the Chinese are doing militarily, and we can reach an agreement there and do business and make money and nothing to worry about. But I, I actually see them as the same as one-two punch, whereas the military thing is the one. It's the you know so you see that punch coming and you can parry it or you know war you know duck it whatever, and then you think woof oh god what well, we did dealt with that, but then you have this two punch which is the the Chinese economic power uh, and commercial activity which is coming and you don't see it because you're just you've you're just looking at the the first punch, so it's the second punch that keeps that lands on you and sends you to the mat. And we need to look at the, the Chinese military and economic uh, power as all part of the same thing. And the Chinese use an expression, actually, comprehensive national power. Uh, they see it all as tying in. Uh, and um, they also have a word called civil military fusion, which is where you combine civil sort of civilian activity with military activities once again uh, tied into sort of your overall national power and you know, a couple examples i give of, of just how this you know works is that that the china makes all this money from its commercial activities and it uses that to fund its military so when we buy things from china when we invest in china we're giving them the money to actually fund their military buildup. And that's what is the result of doing commercial business with the Chinese. And so they don't have to decide between so-called guns and butter the way most governments do. Now, they can have both. And that is not something that you, you really want to deal with. And then as we've talked about a lot over the years, or excuse me, over the, the shows, is that we're providing them with the foreign exchange, with the convertible currency, or in other words, money people want or will accept, uh, that they can use to fund their overseas, well, besides their military buildup, they can use it to fund all the, their overseas commercial activities. When the One Belt, Run Road pro project is, uh, is one of the, the big ones, and yet without foreign currency, they wouldn't be able to fund it. So we're providing that to them. And then you look at where they have set up ports and airfields around the world or have access to. And these are potentially dual use that you can use for military purposes. You look at the map and you've got to be impressed at what they've accomplished. Um, and it's just a question of time till these get militarized, too. So that's what I'm, I'm getting at is that, you know, we've got to stop seeing these as separate, separate sort of things. Um, but look at them all as sort of um, part of this larger Chinese power that threatens to defeat us. So if I go 
and um, if I if I understand this one two punch, what's very very dismaying about it for me is that it is almost the perfect self licking ice cream cone in that um, it funds itself and it funds itself um, it self funds itself. And the West is incapable of taking the steps necessary to to restrict that funding. They will fund their own demise, which, I mean, I, 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 w- I, I would imagine they just have the biggest hoot when they talk about that. Oh, my God, this is this is this is so amazing. They must, you know. They, I mean, could you the they, knee slapping that goes on and all of it? I would just think that they would just be in stitches. You know, they are tripping over themselves to fund this for us. It's amazing to watch. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it, you, you'd have to say, and you know, you look at this administration, and you look at other administrations too, and. Uh, but this one in particular, it's hard to find somebody involved in foreign affairs and even beyond that who has not, at least at a senior position, who has, and even some lower positions, who has not at some point in their past made money from China. Uh, and that's never a good thing. Uh, but they, as you said, they must just be pinching themselves. And maybe it's a bit like playing poker and like you guys across the table are handing you aces uh, for whatever reason. Uh, that you can hardly believe your good luck, but you're not inclined to, to stop it. So we keep getting this, this two punch keeps getting landed on us and we just sort of shake it off because we can't, for whatever reason, you know, why I don't know. It's as if we can't it's believe the whole, it's, it's the whole Lucy. It's, it's the whole Lucy with the football, right? Yeah. It's, you can only, and, and you know, if, um, you know, Charlie Brown was getting, you know, a thousand bucks every time he kicked and missed the ball, he'd, um, maybe even be able to convince himself that this time really was the re- that was going to work. No, Charlie uh, Brown wouldn't be that stupid. I don't think no, he would he probably. Yeah. he would probably get some kind of padding for the back of his head and say, "Hey, this is uh, this is my lot in life." You know, I mean, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I go on my head, but every time I go on my head, I get richer. So I'm going to try to focus on that and not worry so much. Um, not worry so much about this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's also worth noting that, you know, as this economic power builds up, you know, Chinese commercial activity just seems to be everywhere, uh, that it it creates a constituency in a lot of countries where people think that, you know, their interests are with China, that China is the future. It's the the hot country that's, you know, on the upsurge and we don't see the Americans much, so they're not doing much. Um, and it, as a result, it tends to draw people closer, even to some degree, uh, or greater or lesser degrees, towards China. And then it also has a demoralizing effect on people, on China's adversaries. You know, look at how, you know, we're talking about this, and it's not like we're, you know, all that optimistic. Uh, but it, so there's a psychological aspect to all of this as well that drives from the commercial activity, and that tends to feed in once again to to military strength uh, as well. Beyond this, the political strength that comes, say, where you know so many of these little 
nations that are on the Chinese payroll. They vote for China at the UN, their international organizations, etc. So it, it's a pretty um, sort of comprehensive kind of uh, approach to bulldozing your opposition that the Chinese have got going. And if we don't recognize it for what it is or think that, well, you know, everyone thinks, well, I can make my make a bundle myself and someone else will figure it out and that the nation can find itself in a position from which it's very hard to to get out of. All right. What else has gone on in the Pacific Rim uh, that has caught your eye in the last week? Oh, well, the one thing that was pretty interesting was they couple of videos came out of China, apparently produced by a uh, sort of a Chinese Communist Party entity in rural, some one of the rural parts of China. Uh, and it's a video that basically says that if Japan does anything to support Taiwan, that China will launch nuclear weapon after nuclear weapon after nuclear weapon against Japan and will destroy it. And will also take the Ryukyus, at best make them independent, and then split up uh, Japan between China and Russia. It, it is really weird stuff to watch and scary as well. And keep in mind that in China, nothing like this gets sees the light of day for more than like a second, unless the very top of the Chinese Communist Party uh, leadership lets it. So here you have China threatening Japan with extermination and then occupation. And this is a big deal. You know, don't think the Japanese haven't noticed this. You know, they already have. And don't think they're not thinking about nuclear weapons in their own right. But, but here's one of the more interesting parts of this, and it shouldn't surprise us. So here China has threatened America's really, I'd say, our best ally worldwide. Uh, and the is the the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee is holding hearings, I think this week, to talk about East Asia, and the subject of the hearings is climate change. Not a mention of what the Chinese have just threatened to do to uh, to the Japanese if they help with you know if and and if they help with Taiwan, which is an essential. Uh, thing for us out here as well, but the administration, not a not a peep. In fact, you know the Democrats on Congress, it's climate change. Sounds like Admiral Locklear is back. Uh, well, I mean, and, we, we do want to mo deal with the most pressing issue on the planet first. Yes. Oh, if we don't do that, nothing else matters. Thank you. Greta would Thank tell you. us, but the Thank you. Um, but that's you know that to me the, this sequence of events and our response to it or lack of response. Uh, is telling. And I don't, you know, it's hard to be optimistic. You know, they, you know, I, of course, want to give the administration a chance, but they've, it's getting on now. Uh, but this is pretty bad, you know, this lack of response. You should have American spokesmen and officials just trumpeting this to high heaven, what these barbaric, these savages from China have threatened to our best friend. And what is what? What do you think Japan's thinking about all this? You know, they know. You know, when uh, the Americans are not all that interested in in being their friend, and it, maybe that's a little extreme, but they have their doubts. 
and they watched this very closely. So this is not not a good thing. But that was something that happened, or that I noticed. The the other was um, um, Japan issued something called its Defense White Paper, which is like an annual report on the state of their defense and where it's going, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And usually the changes are just sort of marginal changes, right. and there's a lot of boilerplate. But this year the defense minister. Um, he either wrote the introduction himself or had somebody sit down and write it down for him. But they use language that you haven't heard. I, had, I haven't, I don't think I've ever heard it in terms of the, uh, the words they use to describe the nature of uh, the Chinese threat in particular, and then also to describe the, the situation involving Taiwan as it affects Japan. Uh, but they really got across just how concerned they are and how uh, really very, very, very unhappy they are with Chinese behavior. And I've never heard them actually say actually use this language before. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and will it translate into really improved capabilities, um, either for to operate them, uh, themselves or with the Americans better? I'm not sure. Uh, that remains to be seen. But the, the other thing about the, the white paper is that on the front of it, it has like a samurai war, warrior on horseback, which is a change. It's the first time they've ever had um, like something warlike on the front of one of these things. Usually it's like cherry blossoms and maybe Hello Kitty, uh, something like that. But um, but this time it's you know actually there's a war fighting tone to it. Um, and that does reflect what part of uh, the Japanese political world and the officialdom does think about uh, the threats facing Japan. So those were a couple things that were of interest. Are you relieved that Jeff Bezos uh, has gone into outer space and then uh, come safely home? Him, him ooh, and, ooh. I was it, wondering. Yeah, I was. Uh, now I can breathe easy. I suppose. Yeah. So you weren't really stopping your day to monitor all of this. No, no, I'm more of a Branson guy. I think if I had <laughs> to are. choose, yeah, I mean, I, he at least shows some spark of I don't know what you call it, humility or something. Um, sort of decency is perhaps the better word. Humanity. I mean, you know, I it I find it laughable, and I think what you see is Jeff Bezos going out of his way to try to act like a normal guy. He's wearing a cowboy hat and cowboy boots, and it's just well, the most mm -hmm. odd-looking thing, you know. Um, yeah, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. But I, I just wondered if you had, if you had. Uh, I know you're you're up late, but if you were watching all of this with beta breath, sounds sounds like no. you're not. Sounds no, like I hadn't not. seen him so much, but the the Branson space ride. Yes. I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, it was. Um, yeah, to me that looked kind of fun, and it, you know, it looked like they you know, enjoyed themselves. Yeah, so it, you know, it's so that was the one that I paid more attention to. Partly, as I said, just because I think he's the more normal of the two, uh, by far. What uh, What are you reading these days? Do you have a book that you would give us to read? Oh, I, I did actually. I thought about that. I, um, it's one called Braddock's March, and it's about um, when. Braddock, you know, General Braddock, the and the the English or the yes. British, the, yes. the Scotsman, actually, in there too, marched up to you know, to to Iron City, you know, the part to where Pittsburgh is today, and from Alexandria, Virginia, actually, and they marched through the forest, etc., in the French and Indian War, 
and they got to with very, very close to Fort uh, Duquesne, where the French, them Frenchies were, and the French and the Indians came out and slaughtered the British and sent them packing back to West Virginia, practically. And uh, that's the book I'm reading. And it's, uh, you know, I, I like the subject. And um, the title, the uh, official title is Braddock's March, How the Man Sent to Seize a Continent Changed American History. You know, so it's a good, it's written by a lawyer, actually. It's some fellow who um, just is really interested in the topic. And he's done some, some good research, including into a lot of um, sort of firsthand um uh, primary sources is what they're called. Like yes. People who were there, you know, or talked to someone who was almost. And uh, this, so there's a lot of little tidbits that I didn't know uh, in it. And one of them is, you know, I always wondered, you know, how, you know, how could the fight have taken as long as it did? Because it took a few hours to get, you know, for the Brit- the French to, and the Indians to really break the British. And it appears that there's, he makes, a, I think, a pretty good case that, the French were actually using um, that it was sort of a, a, not a kind of longish range sort of shootout. And but that the French had, had were using a lot of rifles or the Indians were because there weren't many French uh, compared to how many Indians there were. But they were actually using rifled uh, rifles, which meant they were actually pretty accurate and could shoot down the officers uh, with some ease and that I hadn't known. You know, I had thought it was like muskets and tomahawks and such like. And um, but there's a, say, a lot of detail in there. And it's, it's the it's the story of the Braddock, whatever you call it, the, the massacre, that I think used to be kind of well known in history. Uh, these days, I don't think anyone much remembers. But it's um, it's a it's a good story. All right, all right. Well, Grant, first of all, uh, we appreciate your time today. And uh, and so you you have a homework assignment, right? I expect you to devote at least ten minutes of intellectual rigor to that, because mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm going to ask people I know that are smart uh, to weigh in on that. I'm curious what what will ha- what what they'll come back with, and that is uh, yeah. that point uh, at which yeah. we began to yeah. go down the same that that we encountered really the same dilemma that we encountered in Vietnam. That you know we're here. But this is not going to end well for the nation. And then all the different people that executed um, essentially, you know, went on a fool's errand. And the fatal flaw in Vietnam is the inability of the people who lead the Department of Defense to stand up and say, hey, we need to really rethink this because this is not going to end well. And then we reenact it in Afghanistan. So uh, I'm curious about your intellectual input into that. Okay, well, I'll let the resentments simmer for a <laughs> exactly. bit. I'll have, I'll have something for you. Okay. All right. All right. Well, Grant, thank you for staying up. We always appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Sure, pleasure. Okay. All right. That is uh, Grant Newsham here on a uh, on a Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, homework. Email. Mac, little presumptuous, you giving your guest homework. No, it's not. It's not one bit presumptuous. All right? Because you know he's interested in it. That's why. So ultimately, I'm doing Grant a favor. Yeah, think about it. That'll do it on a Tuesday morning. Uh, Tomorrow, you're going to hear a guy who's doing work with veterans and trauma and PTSD. And uh, 
friend of mine, Paul Kennedy, introduced me to him. So, uh, you will hear from him. And his name is John Shrey. Um, and then the Mensa Brothers. And then I think I'm taking Friday off again. So you won't hear it. You'll hear the Mensa Brothers repeat on Friday. Um, as I take some time to do some writing and some other stuff that I've got to do. Um, yeah, how about that? So, this program repeats itself momentarily. Our time with Grant Newsham. I'm Mike McNamara, the Submarine Radio. If I can help you help somebody else, do not hesitate. I'd be more than happy to. Until then, bone up on your critical thinking skills. Right? Much to think critically about. Jeff Bezos sitting at a press conference with a cowboy hat on to me is like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, just stop it already, man. On that on that note, on that amusing note. Have a great Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow morning.